And when we get over there, we're going to be over in the book of Genesis, a couple of chapters in there. There was a couple of opposing candidates who were in county officials running for a county office. And they were searing near each other in a local diner. And one turned to the other and said, you know why I'm going to win this election? He said, because of my personal touch. For example, I always tip waitresses really well and then ask them to vote for me. Oh, is that so? Said the other candidate. He said, well, I always tip them a nickel and tell them to vote for you too. Yeah, we got a lot of things going on in the political side, but aren't you going to be glad that in two days it will be over? No more commercials on TV and things like that, but as we told you many times, listen to God. We don't have to wonder who God's man is. We can know from His Word and know from His Spirit. And then we have the responsibility to carry out and vote in that, that direction. Turn over in your Bibles, book of uh, Genesis, one verse we've looked at a number of times in here and probably will continue to do so for a little bit was over in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. And the Amplified, it said, Many a man proclaims his own loving kindness and goodness, but a faithful man who can find? The message translated, Lots of people claim to be loyal and loving, but where on earth can you find one? Everyone thinks that they are a faithful person. And if we were to poll ourselves or we were to go before God, most of us would say, Father God, I have been faithful. I am a faithful one. But God says that faithful people are rare. You don't find that many of them. How many of you have been hurt or discouraged or, or set back by someone who thought they were being faithful to you, but did something? Wasn't quite so faithful. Wasn't quite so good. Well, we've looked at a number of doctrines on this, a number of teachings on the area of faithfulness. Last week we looked at Saul and had an example there of one who was not all that faithful. Let's take a look at a faithful one here today. And in Genesis chapter 37, thank God we have a lot of people in the Word of God that are faithful. And we can look at them too. We learn from the examples of those who failed for what they didn't do. And we look at the examples of those who succeeded. Now, it wasn't too long ago year or two ago, we uh, probably two years ago, we taught a lot on the book of Genesis and in the life of, of Joseph and many others. So we're not going to spend too much time on the details of the story, just looking at this from the faithfulness standpoint. In verse 1 of chapter 37, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought... A bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a tunic of many colors. We've talked about that tunic of many colors before. Probably more likely as a long sleeve coat, but whatever way it is to be translated, we're not quite sure what it is. What it represented was management. This was a person of management. Apparently, Joseph had shown early on that he was, was good at this. He was faithful at this. His father saw it and others, of course, in the latter, latter years will be seeing this as well. But he didn't always do everything perfectly well. He was a bit of a tattletale here and maybe that wasn't the best thing to, to have done. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, then behold, my sheep rose and also stood upright. 
and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to mine. And his brothers sent to him, or said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream, and told it to his brothers. And they said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept this matter in mind. Now you must understand, when God will sometimes share things with you, as he did with Joseph, that you ought to just keep your mouth shut about. Amen. You just don't need to tell everybody. Some things you just keep to yourself. If God tells you, there are some things that you just shouldn't be the one to proclaim it. Other people should proclaim it, but you shouldn't be the one. But it's but God's letting you know so that you can direct your life or, or direct your preparation, your study, things like that. But just learn that just because God shared it with you doesn't mean that you need to share it with everybody else. And Joseph probably learned this lesson eventually, but uh, didn't learn it at this point, and it caused him some trouble. They already didn't like him anyway. This just gave him more reason not to like him. Then his brothers went to to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring word back to me. Now more than likely, this could be an assignment that sounds nice here, but maybe he's actually saying, Go make sure they're doing their job. Let me know if they aren't. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem, and a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Their hatred was just coming out. They said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. We shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what, hath, what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit. And indeed, Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more. Where and where shall I go? So they took 
Joseph's tunic, killed a kid, kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic into blood. And they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it into their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. And of course, he went on and talked about the grief that he had. Of course, this is back in the book of Genesis, and they didn't have all the things we have. Of course, now we you know, send it to the CSI guys, and they would evaluate it. And in 15 minutes, they would find out that DNA was not human, and it was goat. They would find out that the tears were not made by teeth, but they were made by some kind of utensil or some kind of ripping motion, probably by a man, age 35. <laughs> and we would have all this detail of stuff, and, and uh, that... You know, the, the father wouldn't be thinking that he was dead and all that sort of, sort of thing. But they didn't have all that technology back then, so they thought he was dead. And that's, that's basically where they left him. But we see in this, there's not a whole lot of faithfulness going on with uh, much of anyone. The brothers, they had the plot of the brothers. They first off, they wanted to kill him. And then Reuben said, no, don't kill him. Because he had his plan was to come back and save him. And then Reuben was going to come and present Joseph to his father and say, I have saved Joseph from these scoundrels. They were going to kill your son, your favorite son, but I stood up in the way and saved him. Now, Reuben had a reason for doing this because he had already fallen out of grace with that. He was no longer the number one son, no longer in the number one position. He wanted to get back into the number one position. And so this is his way of getting back into that spot. He was going to betray the rest of his brothers so he could get it back into that spot. Now, I'm sure that would work out well. He saw how they responded to Joseph just because his father loved them more, how much more do you think they would have responded to Reuben? But they never got to find out about this plot because they fold it before Reuben got to pull it off. And they sold the guy into, into slavery. First, they were going to kill him because they saw a hindrance that was in front of them. Reuben wanted to save him because he saw a hindrance that was in front of him. He wanted to get rid of this cloud that overhung him. But then all of a sudden, money showed up. And they decided, you know what? We can make some money off of this. And so they were going to going to do that. I'll bet you their original plans, they were going to kill Joseph and take that tunic. That's why they took it off and probably sell it, get some money for it. Then they probably figured they can get more money for Joseph. So they, But in order to pull that off, you have to rip the tunic. Because you can't, uh, can't sell the tunic. We have to get you know, word back to dad that he's dead. So they lost out in selling the tunic, but they got to sell Joseph. And if you're Joseph, you're thinking, boy, this is a bad day. This just isn't going so well. But over in chapter 39, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now, here's where you can see the hand of God. I don't know that I can say I see the hand of God in his brothers selling Joseph into slavery because that's going to mean that God comes on all his brothers and makes them do this, this evil thing. I don't really see God's hand in that. I see God seeing people doing evil things and God turning something around about it. So these brothers did this thing and God says, well, here's this guy Potiphar and I can map a plan for Joseph to get where I need to get him by Potiphar taking, taking this guy and buying him. And so he somehow moves on Potiphar to be there that day and to take a liking to Joseph and to buy him. And of course, Potiphar is just thrilled because this is about the best buy he has ever made. Joseph has really helped his house. Whatever money he invested into Joseph, he got back many, many fold, hundredfold, thousandfold, 10,000-fold, whatever it was, Joseph just made him money, 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 money. He just did a real good job for him. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. 
The Lord was with Joseph. How many of you would think, if you were Joseph, that the Lord is with you? You were in a position of, of authority. Things were going pretty good. And then all of a sudden, you're almost killed, sold into slavery. And now this guy, Potiphar, he's bought you and you're in his house. How many of you are feeling the love from God? Mm, boy, God must really love me. Yes, sir. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. All right, now how about your definition of success? God is calling him a successful man. He is a slave. He's worked his way out to being the head slave, but he's a slave. But God calls him a successful man. See, there's hope for you yet. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. That means everything that Potiphar could find in the house, whatever he gave under the charge of Joseph, it prospered. So after the first thing he gave to Joseph, he gave him a second and he gave him a third and he gave him a fourth. No matter what he put under the hand of Joseph, it prospered. He said, this is great. Whatever I put into this guy's hand, it just multiplies. So he begins to look. Now, why does he give more things to Joseph? Because Joseph proves himself faithful in the least that he gave him. So then he gives him more until we get to the end that now the entire house is in the charge of Joseph. Potiphar figures, if everything is prospering that is in his care, I'll just give it all to him. If I give it all to him, I stand to make a whole lot of money. And so he just gives it all to him. And he just he trusts him so much. This is a slave that he bought. He says, you don't even have to keep track of it. You don't have to tell me inventory or do all that tedious bookkeeping. As long as you know where stuff is and you're confident that everything is good, I'm fine. That is some trust. Joseph had no accountability with the head man. Everyone in the house was accountable to Joseph. That's a pretty good position. Now, if you're Joseph, you had this dream that people were coming and bowing down. You interpret the dream meant to mean your brothers and your mom and dad are coming to bow down. Now you are the head slave in Potiphar's household. How many of you might settle and say, well, I guess this is what the dream was talking about. How many of you might settle? How I many you might think and start to rationalize, well, like, this is probably what it's... Th- I've been faithful to God. God's with me. Everything's working good. This must be what he was talking about. I don't know that Joseph ever did. But I think you and me, I think we might have been tempted to think that. This is it. This is as far as it gets. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from that time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessings of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Then he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So basically what he is saying is put it in modern day terms. As long as I can go to the store and use my credit card and it works. As long as I can go and write a check and people don't come after me. As long as I show up at the house and there's food on the table, I really don't care what goes on around here. You take care of it. And Joseph did. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife 
cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is what? No one greater. Folks, he is saying this to who? Potiphar's wife. He's saying to her, looking her in the eye, say, there is no one greater in this house but me. <laughs> Can you feel the confidence of Joseph? Hmm. And I'll tell you what, I think he's right. I think he's right. Because we told you before, your character develops patterns. This is probably not the first time she's gone after somebody in the house. It's probably not the first time she's shown this part of her character. And if this isn't the first time, this has been going on before, what you say that the husband knew something about it? Why do you think the wife wasn't in charge of all the stuff in the house? You don't say, well, women didn't have that great a position. You're in Egypt, folks. Women had a higher position in Egypt than they did in other places. Think about Cleopatra. Think about some others that came on in there. You can find some very strong women leaders in this land of Egypt. We're not talking about other places where that wasn't the case. So if she was a person who could have run it, she would have been. And she wasn't. And this is one of the reasons why. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Anything in the house that he wanted, it was his. He could use it. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by the garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I had lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. And so she kept his garment with her until his master came home. So she wanted to get them in there as witnesses. Now, who did these men answer to? Joseph, there is no one in the house who does not answer to Joseph. They don't answer to her. They answer to him. Now, if you are Joseph, this is not the first day this has gone on. This is day after day after day. After a while, he's a smart man. He is a wise man. Don't you get some of your guys, some of your pals that are around you and say, look, do not leave me in the house alone. If I'm Joseph, I do that. I don't have to tell them. I'm not telling you why. I'm just telling you, don't leave me in the house alone. I want one of you guys to always be around. And they must have tried to do that for a while, but one time they messed up. And he's in the house by himself. And he didn't realize he was in the house by himself because I think if he was, he would have gotten out. And all of a sudden he got caught. He realizes there's no one else around here. He gets out of the house and she pulls this, this whole stunt. And uh, she calls some men in. Now the guy she called in, you wonder why they didn't arise into the house? Because they can't stand up to her. See, people who don't have the character to stand up to a scoundrel like his wife was don't have the character to run a house. And so they back down. They just thought, well, yeah, she was in here. And they probably knew the story. Joseph just said, don't leave me in the house. They may not have known why. I don't know that he would have gone into all the details. 
So it was, verse 19, when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph, master, took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. Now, does it say why Potiphar is mad? But we assume that it's because of Joseph, right? What if he's mad at his wife for putting him in this position? Because she is now causing him not to lose the best employee he's ever had. The one who has made him the most money. Do you not think that Potiphar can see through the character of a Joseph and that of his wife? Can you see the, through the character of a, someone's wife who has this kind of, who carries herself in this way? Can you see the, through the character of a man who carries himself in this way? Absolutely you can. And if you're going to put the two of them up and you're going to say which one you're going to believe, well, but Potiphar does have to live here. <laughs> so, one of them has to go. <laughs> So he, he puts Joseph. I don't know. We have to wait till we get up to heaven to find out. We can ask Joseph. But I think, I think Potiphar was probably more mad at his wife than he was at Joseph. But anyway, we go on. Joseph master took him, put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. He gave him favor in the sight of the Lord, keeper of the prison. How many of you are still thinking the Lord is with you? The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. How many of you are feeling the love? Feeling the mercy? Hmm. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph a hand, Joseph hand, all the prisoners who were in the prison, wherever they, whatever they did there, it was his doing. Now, we don't see quite the same scenario, at least as is depicted in the Word of God, that we saw before. Before Potiphar put a few things there, and just as things prospered, he kept giving them more and more until pretty, pretty soon Joseph had the whole house under his charge. It seems that he comes into the prison and instantly is trusted by the, the head of the prison and is put in a place where he is in charge of all the prisoners. Why would he do that? Unless Potiphar put a good word in for him. Unless Potiphar said he doesn't deserve to be here. He's the best employee I ever had. Use him and trust him. You can that would probably be a reason for him to be moved up so, so quick. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Don't you feel prosperous? You were first off a free man in your father's house and ran all the sons and ran the business. And then you were a slave in Potiphar's house, a rich house, and ran the whole house. And then you got demoted to a prisoner and then you ran the whole prison. How many of you are feeling you like in this direction? <laughs> I don't think we like the direction that this is necessarily going. But is Jace Joseph being faithful? Sure, he's been faithful. He's been a faithful man. But he's going in the wrong direction. He keeps going down. He's not going up. He's going down. If, if you were Joseph, how many of you would have bailed out on the dream? How many of you are saying, well, <laughs> I guess I ate something funny that night. I guess my brothers are probably right. I, I, that's no dream from God. You know those things had to be coming to him. All the time he was there, they're always berating his dreams. His father even put the dreams down. His father loved him. So after a while, those words had to come back. You're sitting there in the prison, running the whole thing, but sitting there in the prison. 
I'm going to rule and reign. How in the world can I get out of a prison and rule and reign? How many of you are thinking, if you are Joseph, of just letting up a little bit on this faithfulness stuff? I don't think I... I mean, I've been... God, I've been faithful. And I just keep going in the wrong direction. These other folks, they aren't faithful. Look at Potiphar's wife. She isn't faithful. Look where she is. He's got a whole lot of people in his life that he can point to and say, they're not faithful. Look at my brothers. Are they faithful? Are they not in better position than I'm in right now? So they're not liking this. If, if I'm Joseph, I'm not liking this situation. And I might get a little bit tough on this. Get a little bit of trouble with this. Well, first off, in the first six verses, we saw that he was economically faithful. He was faithful with the money that was put in his hands. And the Word of God said, if you are not faithful with unrighteous mammon, if you're not faithful with money, how can you be trusted with the true riches? So he is faithful with money. He was faithful morally. He had moral faithfulness. He's morally faithful. We saw this whole episode with the wife. He was given many an opportunity. Now, I'm sure being the head slave, he didn't get an opportunity to date much. Didn't seem like he had the opportunity to get married. Didn't seem to be afforded those kind of things. So, it was a temptation. But he stood stood against it. In the rest of these verses here, we see that he stayed continually faithful. The same pattern, the same pattern that he has, has followed him in three different scenarios. Three different scenarios. It's the same pattern. We told you before, patterns repeat. When you establish a pattern, the pattern repeats. How many of you, think back on this, how many of you had a car, your first car, and you got that first car, you said, I'm going to keep this car clean, I'm going to wash this car, I'm going to vacuum this car, I'm going to keep this car clean. That worked for what? A couple weeks? And then what happened? Stuff started piling up in the back seat. Dirt started to get onto the, onto the paint. And it started to build up a little bit. And then some of you, some of you didn't do that. Some of you, you kept that pattern going. And that car stayed clean the whole time. And other folks didn't quite keep that pattern going. And what happened to the car? And then you go out and you get, you know, four or five years, that car's done or whatever time you had it. And you decide to go out and get another car. And you get a, a, a new car, maybe a brand new car, but at least a new car to you. And you get that car in there and you look at how nice it is. It, how many of y'all know when they come out of the shop, no matter where you buy them, they look nice. They smell nice. They're in good shape. They're vacuumed out. And you get in there. It feels so nice to be in a nice, clean, vacuumed out car. I am going to keep this car this way the rest of my life. I'm going to keep this car clean. And in a week later, you have McDonald's bags in the back seat. <laughs> French fries on the floor. Right? And then you get rid of that car because it's all messy. It didn't like quite last as long as you wanted to because it's all messy. And then you get another car and you get that car. And what do you say? I'm going to, oh, this car feels so nice being clean. I'm going to keep this car clean. I'm going to change the oil. I'm going to put nothing but good gas in it. I'm going to maintain it. And what happens? <laughs> Burger King wrappers in the back. Crumpled up paper all over the place. You want to take somebody, pick them up in your car. Wait, wait, wait. You got to clean everything out. What happened? Car's all messy. Oil chain got, I don't know, 10,000 miles ago, I think. What is it, out of oil? Oh, man. You don't know? What happened? You established a pattern. Now, you can break a pattern. Don't think just because you're always this way with your car or your, uh, I don't know, your house or your yard or your, 
uh, clothes or your drawer, whatever it is. Don't think just because it is that way, it always has to be that way. You can change it, but it will take effort. You will have to work at it. You're going to have to determine, I am going to keep that clean. I am going to do this because I don't like it that way. And you can break the pattern. But generally, if you do not do anything, the patterns you have already established will follow you the rest of your life. Unless you do something about it. The patterns you have started will continue to go on. Now, we talked about messiness, but there's other things as well that you can get in there. How many of you are always late for appointments? Nobody. Nobody wants to admit it. How many of you forget appointments? How many don't just bother with appointments? Just don't bother with them at all. How many are always late to work? You start a new job or you stay with that new job? I am going to be on time at this job. I'm going to get there early and after a week, what happens? Pulling in 10 minutes late. Right? Why? Because you have a pattern. You've established a pattern. Now, some of you folks don't have that. You've established a pattern of being on time. You have other things that you'd like to change the pattern in, but you've established that pattern of being on time. Then you, you keep that pattern going. You know, we, my wife and I, we, we try and keep an on-time pattern. And I remember we were listening to John Maxwell. He was giving a conference and he talked about how when he goes to the airplanes, airports, loves to just make it. Loved it. Just loved the thrill of just making it. Just getting in there and you're know, almost closing the door and you just get in. They close the door behind you and the plane is starting down the runway before you find your seat. He just loved that. He just enjoyed that, that aspect of it. And at one time we had that. We were going to a John Maxwell conference of all things. And it, we had to leave Sunday after church. It started up either Sunday night or Monday. I forget what it was. But whatever, we got the flight out. We had a as soon as service was over, we had to go. Now, we weren't too pressed for time. We could go pick up something to eat on the way and we were going to be fine or eat in the airport. It was going to be okay. And, and I had looked at the, the, the information and as we're driving over there, I just looked at the information again and I'm looking at the ticket and I misread the ticket by an hour. Now, I'm not a person who just tries to cut it close. So, I can still make it. But it was going to be a whole lot closer than we thought it was going to be. And so we get on down there. I mean, we are close enough that I am dropping her off in front of the, of the uh, terminal thing there. And we're getting all that stuff out. And I'm letting her go through the line, check in all the stuff. I let her check in all the bags while I parked the car. I don't like doing that. But, you know, we were tight for time. And so she got all the bags checked in. And she's already down on the runway. And they're getting ready to leave, and I'm still not there. I parked the car, and you know I don't walk anywhere, especially when I'm by myself. I'm running. So I'm running from the parking lot into the terminal to get through the security. Back then, there wasn't a whole lot of security going on, so it wasn't that big a deal. Get through the security, and I am running to the terminal, and she is standing out there in the hallway looking at the door. He's coming. He's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and we're holding it up, and we just get in there. And I told her, I says, John Maxwell says he likes this. I despise this. This was terrible. I like to get in there early and I bring stuff with me and sit on down. We've got an hour to go and I'm reading, I'm relaxed and I'm just having a good time. I just, that's a pattern I have established. That broke me out of that pattern. I did not like that. But you, know, you have patterns 
and you establish those those patterns. There's some things that are important to you. For some folks, keeping their car clean, that's a real important thing. Other folks, keeping the house neat and tidy, that's a real important thing. Other people, being on time, that's a real important thing. Showing up for work when you're supposed to be, it's a real important thing. Showing up at work, for some folks, it's a real important thing. <laughs> but you establish patterns. Now, you, you think of the people that you work with. Are there not patterns? Are there certain people that are missing from work two to three times a month? Now, maybe not a week, but <laughs> per month, just that way. And other people, every month, you know, they won't miss. They'll be here. They've established a pattern. You will establish patterns. Faithfulness patterns. Patterns of faithfulness. Things that you will always do. You will establish those patterns. This pattern followed Joseph in all three scenarios. When the pattern followed him back at home, the pattern followed him in Potter's first house, and it follows him in the prison because this is who he is. Even though he might be thinking, I'm going to give up on this faithfulness stuff, it was such a pattern to him he could not. Now, I don't know if he's thinking it. I'm just thinking if he was me, if I was him, I'd be thinking, you know what? This faithfulness stuff has not gotten me anywhere. Just down. And the only reason that I went down is because I was faithful. If I hadn't been faithful and told Potiphar's wife no, I wouldn't be in this position. So then he goes on. Then we find out that he does some things while he's in the prison. Chapter 40, we're not going to read all of that. But there's two prisoners that the Pharaoh puts down in there and he's mad at them and he puts them in and they both have dreams and they come to Joseph and Joseph interprets the dream. The one dream he says you're going to die. The other one says you're going to live and be put back into your position and sure enough, that's what happened. And he tells the one who's going to live because no sense in telling the guy who's going to die. <laughs> tells the guy who's going to live. He says, now remember me before Pharaoh because I'm put in here and it's unjust. It's not right that I'm put in here. All right, yeah, you know it. I'll remember you. I'll let him know what your situation is. Because every man is faithful in his own eyes, right? And it came to pass at the end of two full years after Joseph interpreted his dream. After Joseph said, don't forget me. After the man said, all right, I'll remember you before Pharaoh. I'll tell him your plight. I'll tell him your situation. After two full years. We're not talking a year and a half, a year and a quarter, a year and three quarter. We are talking two full years. Now, how would you like it if at your job, you've been working your, your job real hard, you've been faithful, showing up on time, being there, faithful, and the boss comes to you and says, you have been doing such a good job. I'm going to give you a raise. And in two full years, it shows up in your paycheck. How many of you are liking that? Two full years. You're not putting up with two full weeks. But if he says you're getting a pay rate, you're getting it now, right? Two full years. What's going through your mind after two full years? Father God, I have been faithful to you. I have been faithful to everyone you sent to me. I have been faithful in every situation. And here it is, I help these people, and they can't even be faithful to help me out. How many of you are thinking, hmm, I don't know about this faithfulness stuff. At the end of two full years, that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Now, we're not going to go through here and read the whole dream. Don't really need to do that. Most of you know this story and know the dream. He had the, the dream of the 
fat cows and the slim cows and the fat corn and the slim corn and all that sort of stuff. And all we really need to do and look at this is get down to the real important part. So Joseph is called up. They call up Joseph and the, the guy says, you know, I remember a time when you were mad with me and another employee and uh, you put us in prison. And this guy, he came over and he gave us, uh, he interpreted both of our dreams and it came about just the way that you said it. We can go get him. So it sounded like a good idea. So Joseph brought in in verse 25, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good good heads are seven years, and the dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will be depleted, will deplete the land, so the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because a thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. He didn't know he's given his own job description here. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over that land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Is this in the dream? It is not in the dream. Where does this come from? This comes from the talents, the skills, the gifts that God has put into Joseph that have been being developed in every place that he's been at. This has nothing to do with the dream. Let them collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then... That food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt. And the land may not perish during the famine. Now we could spend a whole lot of time on this. Don't have any time to do it today. But you can just stick this in your own meditator and meditate on it. If God knows the seven years are coming upon the whole earth, why doesn't He stop it? You can stick that in your meditator. You can get a good answer on that. God will give it to you. I don't have time to get in today. We're running long. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. What setup does that sound like? Is this not the exact same setup that he had in the prison? Is it not the exact same setup that he had in Potiphar's house? Is it not the exact same setup that he had in his father's house? Why? Because he has established patterns. 
He's established pattern. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments and fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Now, if you are Joseph and you have been faithful in Potiphar's house, faithful in the prison, faithful even after the guy that you had interpreted the dream for went back before Pharaoh and Pharaoh could have just... All he's going for is a pardon. Get me out of this place. He's not asking for money. He's not asking for a position. Just get me out. Don't belong here. It's all he wants. And it doesn't happen after one month, two months, three months, all the way up to 24 months. Along the way, do you not think it was tempted to say, you know what, forget it, I'm, I'm going to stop. And if he would have, would he be in a position to in one day go from a head prisoner to head over all the land of Egypt? Mm-mm. He would not have been in a position. He needed to stay faithful in Potiphar's house. He needed to stay faithful in the prison. He needed to stay faithful after he asked for help from one of the people and they didn't give it. He needed to continue on. No matter how many years it was, he needed to continue on. He had no business standing before God and say, God, I have been faithful for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is. I've been faithful. I've had enough of being faithful. He had no reason to stand before God and to do that because God could say, I've been faithful for thousands. Won't hold a candle with God. How many of you have been wanting to have had conversations in your prayer time telling God how faithful you've been, how long you have been faithful, and how tired you are of not being in a better position than what you're in now? I want to do this. What? But it's... Think of Joseph. He's now set one day he goes from still thinking everybody forgot about him. Nobody did anything in, with him. And in one day, he is over all the land of Egypt. Over all the land of Egypt. Now, if you are Pharaoh, why are you given this kind of a position to somebody you just met? Would you do it? Pharaoh's a wise man. We're, you don't get to be Pharaoh. You know, you don't you don't get elected and have to go through and you know make campaign promises and do all sorts of stuff like that and then you know everybody elects you and then you don't have to do it. If you had references, and he had good ones too because Potiphar was close to Pharaoh. And Potiphar, Potiphar could say, "I know this man. Whatever you put in his hand, you can trust it'll be taken care of. This man will not abuse anything that you put in his hand. You can trust him with the whole land of Egypt if you want to, and he will be faithful. But whatever you put under his hand." Whatever you put under His hand, His God will bless it. Whatever you put under His hand, His God will bless it. That's Potiphar's reference. And then the head of the prison. Not the head of any prison. The head of the prison where Pharaoh put his prisoners. That head. He came up and says, I can testify that as long as I've had Joseph down there, whatever I put in his care, I don't have to check up on it. It is done. What's this telling Pharaoh? This guy has patterns. He has patterns of faithfulness. Even in the lowest places, he has patterns of faithfulness. He has been faithful with little. I can trust him with much. And he puts more in his hand. Now look at this. This is the, this is the kicker in the story. Verse 46. 
Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So most of his time has been spent in the land of Egypt. Then Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. How long did it take him to get started? He went out from the presence of Pharaoh into all the land of Egypt. How many of you are taking a week off? How many of you are going to say, you know, it's been a tough 15 years. Do you mind if I have a day off? I, if, and if you're Pharaoh, you say, look, take the whole week off. Get yourself ready. Find a nice house. You know, you want to go out there and find some of the Egyptian women, find somebody you like to marry. We'll, we'll get that set up, get all that taken care of. Then you can get started. How many of you, if you're Pharaoh, you're letting that go on? But Joseph doesn't do that. He goes out from the presence of Pharaoh with the signet ring, right out to work. Now, in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly, just as he said. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years were, which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities and laid up... In every city, the food of the fields which surrounded them, and Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. Hmm. Now, they didn't have the means to measure stuff like we do, because look at the debt we can measure. <laughs> we can measure some debt. Anyway, they stopped measuring. They stopped counting. There's no way to measure. They just started storing it up at this point. If you are the Egyptians, who knows about this dream? Probably a lot of people know about the dream, but who really knows the dream? Pharaoh and Joseph. No one else really knows it. No one else is really intimately involved with this dream. These are the two guys who are. So Pharaoh fully believes in this dream, and he will not stand in Joseph's way for anything that Joseph says to do. And no one else can either. But if you are the Egyptians, and after the first year, you gave all your abundance, one-fifth, and the second year, one-fifth, but now you're getting to the point where you're looking at that storehouse in all these cities. You're looking at the storehouse in your city, and you know that same storehouse is in the other cities. And you're looking at how big it is and they have to keep making more storehouses and more storehouses and more storehouses. And word gets around, we can't even measure this stuff anymore. It is too big. And here comes a knock at the door. Knock, knock, knock. We're ready for your fifth. Are you kidding me? Do you see how much stuff you have and you still want a fifth? How greedy are you, Joseph? Don't you think he got some opposition? At least by the fourth year, fifth year. Certainly by the sixth year and the seventh year, I'm sure this he was having trouble all, all the way around. Who wants to give away a fifth when you guys have so much? Enough is enough. But he remained what? Faithful to do what God said to do. Even though he's getting opposition from people. And he's looking at this and says, that is a lot of food. That's a whole lot of stuff in there. Mm. Well, it didn't take too long for that to change. If you go on, you read the rest of the story, you find out that the seven plentiful years ended, just like he said, and the seven skimp years began. And they were so bad that everyone forgot how plentiful the plentiful years were. And no one in the entire world had food except for Egypt. 
And he began to feed his people, but he began to feed the people and they had to come and they had to buy this stuff. Now, I don't know if Joseph bought it from them. More than likely, Joseph bought it from them. But he paid the price of the stuff when it was in abundance. He's now charging a price for when it is scarce. When you buy and it's in abundance, the price is cheap. When you sell when it is scarce, the price is high. So the folks came and they gave every bit of money they had. They didn't have any more money. And so they came and says, look, we have no more money. You took it all. And he says, well, what else you got? We have land. Give me your land then. So uh, what's, what good is land if we can't eat? All right, the land's yours. So they gave him the land. They gave him the houses. They gave him everything that they had. So that because of Joseph, Pharaoh owned the entire land of Egypt. He owned their houses. He owned them. He owned their 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 produce. Whatever they made, it belonged to Pharaoh. They worked for Pharaoh now. That is some kind of producer. The entire land. And now we're not stopping there. We're now going out to the rest of the world and we're getting their wealth. And the rest of the world is coming to Egypt to buy food because no one else has food but and the price is not cheap anymore. It is high. And Joseph can come on in and says, well, you know, we bought it at a dollar a barrel. We're selling it at 110 right now. Man, that is great. <laughs> That's just great. And the money is just rolling in. Egypt became very, very rich because of Joseph. But he was faithful. He was faithful. You must establish patterns of faithfulness. If you decide to not be faithful in your time, not showing up to work on time, not showing to work at all, not keeping this this the way that it should be, not putting their, your time in here, whatever it is that you're not faithful with, you have established a pattern of not being faithful with it. Patterns produce more of the same pattern. We've talked about this example before. But how many of you feel like you ought to have a better diet? Right? Better diet? You know, you know what produces a better diet? A pattern of a good diet. you got to have a pattern of a good diet. If you have a pattern of a good diet, it produces a good diet. You keep eating that stuff. If you keep eating McDonald's burgers and french fries, now there's nothing wrong with having them once in a while if that's what you want to do. But the more that you have them, the more you get used to that grease. The more you get used to that stuff. And then when you're going out there, it doesn't bother you. But you're going out there, you eat there less and less. And you eat other stuff more and more. Instead of french fries, you have apples and oranges and bananas and, and fruits. And you replace them for those fatty things. Guess what happens when you take on one of those fatty things? They don't taste as good. Because ah, you've established a pattern. How many of you thought I ought to be working out more? You know what produces workout schedules? A workout schedule. If you are faithful with the workout schedule, you continue on with it. As soon as you stop being faithful to the workout schedule, what happens to the workout schedule? If you decide, I'm going to exercise on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, and you exercise Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday for a month, you've established a pattern. And then all of a sudden, something comes up on Tuesday, and you don't do it. You are in danger of losing the pen. You haven't lost it yet, but you're in danger of it. If you come up on Thursday and let it go again, what happens? Then something can come up on Saturday. And something can come up on Tuesday. And something can come up on Thursday. And pretty soon you've established a new pattern. One of not going out and working out the way you want to do. 
patterns produce patterns of the same like. If you don't like the pattern that you are producing, then you must put effort in to change it. If you are going to be faithful according to God's pattern, then you must establish a God kind of faithfulness pattern. If you do not establish His kind of faithfulness pattern, if you establish the man's faithfulness pattern, you're going to be in trouble. Remember we looked at Saul? Saul thought he was faithful. Other people thought they were faithful. Don't matter. How many times have people put something in your hand and you said, ah, how many times it work? The boss says, here, do this. And you, ah, oh, I didn't get it done. I didn't get it done. How many, how many bosses like that? Boy, it's quiet in here. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He who is faithful in what is... You don't need me to read this. You know this. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust also in much. Why? Because you have established a pattern. The same pattern you will use with little, you will use with much. If you tithe off of a job that you have that pays you $100 a week, you will probably tithe off of a job that pays you $1,000 a week. You will probably also tithe off of a job that pays you $10,000 a week. If you do not tithe off of a job that pays you $100 a week, don't kid yourself and think you will tithe off of a job that pays you $1,000 a week. Nor will you tithe off of a job that pays you $10,000 a week. You are thinking I will have excess then. You will not because you have established a pattern of what happens to your excess. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the true, who will trust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one, despise the other. We've already gone over this verse of scripture, just wanted to read it for you again. Here's the last things you've got to fill out. Be faithful with what you have to do as long as you have to do it. Joseph was faithful with what he had to do for as long as he had to do it. He was faithful in Potiphar's house as long as he has Potiphar's house to do. He was faithful in the prison as long as he had the prison to do. And he was faithful with the seven years as long as he had the seven years to do. He didn't stop at five. He didn't stop at six. He didn't stop at seven. God could not afford to put a man in that position who would not be faithful all seven years. And though we had to start off with Joseph, who was already a faithful guy, he needed him to be extra faithful because if Joseph was only faithful for six and a half years, if he was faithful for six years, people would die. Masses amount of people would die if Joseph was not faithful for all seven years, no matter what he came across. Does Joseph know this when he has his dream? He does not know this, but he understands the importance of faithfulness. Be faithful what you have to do as long as you have to do it. Be faithful where you are as long as you can be there. Be faithful with where you are as long as you can be there. Too much of an eye on the future, folks, can cause a lack of focus with what you have to do now.
with where you are right now. It is good to have an eye for the, for the future. But if you have too much of an eye for the future, you will not focus on being faithful now. You always will be faithful. You need to be faithful now. Right, get this one. If God needs it done, please understand this. If God needs it done, it is not insignificant. If God needs it done, it is not insignificant. How many of you have thought you've been doing something insignificant for God? Come on, be truthful. You've done things. You, oh, this is not God doesn't. This is not a big deal. This is not a big deal. I mean, I'm here doing this. I mean, even around the church. How many times have you thought you're doing something and it's insignificant? Insignificant. If you, if you come out here early enough in the morning, you'll see Bruce out there with the dustpan sweeping up the trash that all these other folks are unfaithful with putting their trash in the trash can. He's out there sweeping up the trash. How insignificant is that? I'll tell you how insignificant it is. If he doesn't do it, guess who does? If he tells me ahead of time that he's not coming and he won't be here, guess who's out there as soon as the light hits to pick it up? Is it insignificant? No, it's not. Before when we had the, the computer, more people trained on the computer. If the person who came in and ran the computer, if it wasn't done, guess who came over to do it? Now we have other people that, that do it, so you know, who can fill in on that, glory to God. And if not, like this morning, you know, if, if Rachel was here this morning, she got it done. If she wasn't here, Ethel was there to step in. And there's been weeks before Ethel's had to step in and, and do that and run the communion and get it ready. If we, we do have it ready, all right. <laughs> I knew that was her today. If, 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 if Ethel isn't going to be here for the communion, guess what? Somebody needs to step up. Is it insignificant? Is it insignificant to have an usher? Is it insignificant to have sound people, worship people? We're missing a drummer today. Is that insignificant? If any of you could have stepped up, probably dragged you out of your seat, put your hand up in there. <laughs> Stop thinking that what you do is insignificant. Because it's probably not. If God needs it done, it is not insignificant. If God needs it done, folks, it's not insignificant. Establish your patterns with what seems to be easy. So that you have those patterns and they carry you through with the other. Don't think, well, I can just be late. Don't think, well, I can just be messy. I can just be unthorough. I can just do that later. Don't think that. Establish patterns. If God wakes you up at 5 a.m. in the morning and says, I need you to pray, I'll be there, God, in about two hours. You're going to be faithful with much. You've got to start off with being faithful with little. If God wakes you up at 3 a.m., are you one that He can depend on and say, I'll be there. Father God, we thank You that we can establish patterns of faithfulness. We can look at ones like Joseph who were faithful and established patterns of faithfulness. Father, we want to be faithful by Your standards, by Your eyes. Though many see themselves as being faithful, we understand Your Word says that they are few. But we want to be one of the few. We want to remain faithful even when it doesn't seem like it's paying off. Because you need us to be faithful. And you are looking for those who are. Father, we want to be one of those faithful ones, just like Joseph was. Ready and prepared. 
on that day he was called up to run the land of Egypt and to prepare for something so great that people would have died if he was not obedient. We want to be ready to be called on. So we thank you that we can be for your help. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.